0: You're listening to something real, connecting the reality of God to the realities of life. On this week's something to talk about, we are still in Luke chapter 22, and we discuss it a little bit in the episode here. But what's interesting about this particular section that we're diving into is that uh, in in 22 so far, we've kind of gone through. Uh, so a lot of stuff that people have heard of, a lot of these events that are, are leading up to uh, Jesus's arrest, um, and, and their stories that, that most people know. But this little section is kind of a pause from from the forward progress of the story, and Jesus is, once again, showing and teaching and, and telling his disciples how they're to be, and that they are to serve. Um, so I thought that was Really interesting that we're kind of, not pausing, but it kind of takes a little turn here for just a minute, Um, but it's important enough to to be there, and I just think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. A little note, um, the sermon from Sunday, unfortunately, there were issues with the audio, so I am going to link the live stream from Facebook in the description of this episode, so if you haven't checked it out yet, be sure to do that, and if you have any questions following that or regarding this episode, just let us know. So that's Mm. how it's starting
1: this week, with uncertainty.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) Good morning.
2: Good morning, indeed. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We are the home of professional podcasting, are we not?
1: I am going to get a t-shirt that says that Christmas is coming. So slick. Christmas is coming. Uh, I mean, it's got to be better than last week. (laughs) I can't remember what football we were talking about last week. Anyway, we are... (laughs) Not going to talk about football today. Better,
2: better than the martini podcast, though. That, That's that true. We had. Heidi
1: liked it. Hi, Heidi.
2: <laughs> my, my sister liked the martini podcast. That sounds great. I don't want to drink a salad.
1: <laughs> um, we are working our way.
2: This is the content that people come to rely upon to transform just their lives We're Giving we the people bring what they want. The realities of God, of God, the reality of God to the realities of life. The way we bring this super important content is ridiculous.
1: You can really just kind of reel everything in, can't you? No. Tra- you can transition things well. Hmm. I never realized your program had so many caps on it. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like you're yelling at yourself. Yeah. Um, we are in Luke, uh, still in chapter 22. Yes. And.
2: Uh, We've been in Luke for like two years. No. It's been ridiculous. I think it was one year, all of 2018, and almost it's going to be all of 2019.
1: That is ridiculous because it's only what 25, 26, 24 chapters.
2: Right, and we're in chapter 22 now. So we're
1: nearing the end, and then it's going to be Christmas. We'll we'll be
2: done by Advent. Yes.
1: Wow, funny how that works. Um, But but we've been the past couple weeks kind of uh, rooted in more familiar. Passages, more familiar stories, and not that this this one isn't. But um, taking a perspective on this as Jesus being one who serves and calling us to be people who serve, uh, I, I liked taking a st- tying the narrative into that, but looking at it from from this
0: perspective.
2: Yeah, in a sense, it's a bit of a step back from right. you know we we've from gone, driving the story forward. Yeah, we've gone from you know. <clears throat> teaching, 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 to boom, we're in Passion Week stuff. Now we're still in that, but in the midst of that, we have a bit of a, of a I don't know, a reflective moment uh, coming out of a, a silly dispute, a silly argument over who's the greatest, right. which never makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really does feel like middle school kind of stuff right. in a lot of ways.
1: Well, you get a bunch of guys in one room. That's
2: you know how guys are. <laughs> uh, anyhow gender stereotypes, notwithstanding, the the dispute then leads to Jesus being able to have a teaching moment with them. And, and you know that's that's what he does. I mean, Jesus takes every moment, every aspect of every part of life and connects it back to reality, which is really when we see all of creation and everything that we go through, every moment, every bit of joy, every bit of suffering, all of it is designed to steer us back to God. And Jesus does that consistently all throughout the scriptures. When he's being attacked, he steers it back to God. When he's uh, being praised, he steers it back to God. Everything goes back to the reality of God, the reality of who God is in the midst of all of the, the various realities of our current experience. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is doing that here as well. They're having uh, the Last Supper. The, you know, Last week we looked at, at the actual... Um, meaning of the remembrance celebration as Jesus connects himself with the Passover lamb. But now, immediately following that, you know, it's still in the same setting. They haven't even left the room yet. Now he's telling them, look, this is the wrong attitude. This is the right attitude. If you're going to be my disciples, this is what that looks like. And you're going to go through hardship. You're going to have hard times. Peter, you're going to deny me elsewhere. He says, you're all going to fall away. Everybody here is going to abandon me. And, and he even points out you know, to, to Peter. He calls Peter out and says, look, the devil has desired to sift all of you as wheat. But I'm praying for you that on the back side of this when you return your faith will not fail you'll strengthen your brothers this is what where you need to go with this that all happens and we'll see that going into the arrest this week but as as Jesus instructs them he gives us even in this little tiny vignette this you know we're only talking about a handful of verses we see a picture that is um, that is repeated or described in detail through the epistles. We see it in the Old Testament pointing forward to who Messiah would be, that not only would, be, would he be a victorious warrior, but he would be gentle and meek, that he would, um, that he would not uh, break a bruised reed, you mm-hmm. know, that, that he would be close to the brokenhearted as we see the Lord's heart in Psalm thirty four eighteen. 18. Uh, that whole concept, everything about who Jesus is, has been the character of God from the beginning played out and then jesus perfectly reflects that and here he says guys (laughs) what are you doing you know if you're going to reflect me you need to do that with the kind of attitude that you're seeing me display
1: humbling yourself not saying i'm better than this person i'm better than this person well
2: yeah and so as they're as they're going through this you know like i said verse 24 a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest which is Flowing out of their debate over which of us is going to betray him, because Jesus mm-hmm. has identified the betrayers being at the table, and the fact that they don't recognize that Judas is one, is the one tells you Judas, Judas is not like he shows up in the movies a lot of time where he's got sinister, beady eyes, right? right? He's you know kinda he's the guy kind of twisting his mustache, right. you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's not that's not it's Judas, like
1: an old timey,
2: <laughs> right? Yeah, he's tying people up on the train track. So as as Judas is going about his business with the rest of of the group, he's one of them. They, They see him as the normal guy, teaching, learning, displaying the power of God, just like everybody else. And yet, unconverted. This whole time, he is not who he even thinks he is. He thinks he's following Christ, right. but he's really following his own understanding of Christ, his own desires and, and we do that so often. We see that in church where where we go along, we uh, you know we do all the right things, we you know have the right image, people think of us in the right way. Um, yeah, I, I, I love Jesus, I go to church, all that kind of stuff. And yet we're unconverted in our hearts. We are still following our conception of what Christ expects of us or who Jesus is rather than seeing him for who he really is Mm -hmm. and allowing him to transform us from the inside out. That's a, a real problem, I think, in the church. In fact, that's probably, that's why I never imagined for myself ever being part of planting a church or starting a new work because from the time I was young, my, my passion, my heart was not so much to go out into the harvest fields and bring in unbelievers that that's always an important thing for all of us as believers. But my passion, my my target, I guess, was more of the preaching to the choir, preaching to the, to the folks who are in the church, trying to, to draw this line so that we see it's not about going to church. It's not about you know being Christian in our religion. It's about being actually converted inwardly uh, so that my life becomes... Christ. Everything about me is defined by Christ. We're working through a curriculum with our youth group right now called Defined. It's from Lifeway. It's from the folks that made the Overcomer movie. And and, uh, it's very similar to Neil Anderson's Freedom in Christ Ministries, Victory Over the Darkness and Bondage Breaker. Uh, And and the whole idea is looking at what defines me. Who, Who am I? And when I begin to see myself primarily, first and foremost, as God's, God's creation, broken by sin, and yet because of Christ, I'm able to be transformed by the good news that he died in my place. Then once I am transformed by that gospel, my primary identity is not even as a creation of God, but now as a child of God. So that if I am God's child, holy and dearly loved, if I am God's child, completely accepted, 100% clean, my past gone, purified from all unrighteousness, as uh, 1 John 1.9 says. If that's the case, then I begin to look at every other part of my life through that lens mm-hmm. rather okay. than looking at that, that as part of my identity. So now I see Christ as part of my life right. as opposed to, as Paul said, Christ is my life. Christ is everything, therefore... For me, to live is Christ. Right. To die, that's that's gain. That's even better because now I get to go and be with Christ. Right now, I get to work on his behalf because I belong to him. I'm his child. And that is the only thing that matters. So for me, all of the different roles that I play as, as a pastor, as a husband and father, as a football coach, as a farmer, uh, as a community member, all these different things, All of that is a subset of who I am in Christ Mm -hmm. as his child. So then when I reflect the reality of Christ in those relationships, that's not something I do. That's, That's who I am because Christ has made me this. Christ has made me alive in himself and given me his Holy Spirit. That's true for every single believer. And if we don't have the Spirit, then we aren't. Of belonging to Christ, if we belong to Christ, then the Holy Spirit is in us, enabling us to live a life that pleases Him, because we're walking according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, not according to our own understanding. These guys in this story, they're still thinking flesh thoughts; they're still living according to their own understanding. And Jesus is redirecting; He's He's uh, refocusing that lens. And so, from a from a an identity perspective from a worldview perspective as a christ follower when i've been converted regenerated made new made alive in christ transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light who i am at a fundamental level changes my personality is still what it is my physical being doesn't change it's not like i get saved and suddenly i'm no longer overweight and out of shape that's not how it works but Who I am, my citizenship, is no longer in this world. My citizenship is in heaven. So now I don't operate in this world as one who belongs here, as a citizen of this world. Now I'm here in this world, but I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm not of this world. Mm -hmm. So now everything I do functions that way. So you as a mom, your primary identity can't be as a mom. Mm -hmm. It has to be as a daughter of the king, who then, in light of that, parents your child in this way. Our primary purpose as parents is to bring our children to the Lord, to Mm -hmm. convert them, to to give them an example and the teaching so that they, we can't make them Christ followers, but they have the tools and information that they need and the example that they desire so that they will desire Christ, turn to Christ. still requires the Holy Spirit moving in them, but the Holy Spirit works through his people, through us. So then in that lens, I'm not a Christian because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because this is my life my, my life is in Christ. everything I want to do functions that way. so then the giftings that he's built into me that could have been used or once were used in in retail as a, in retail management or in leadership as a football coach or whatever else uh, you know at one point in the military and now in in this setting <clears throat> um, all of those things play through that filter. If I'm coaching football, I'm not coaching football because I love football I do but, I don't coach football. I coach kids. And I use football to do that because the purpose is, as a child of God, to glorify God. And I glorify God through influencing lives toward him. I don't preach. I don't give devotions at, at a football practice. But what I do instead is I live the life of Christ in front of these young men and women so that they can see what jesus is like and i obviously don't do that perfectly but increasingly so that as they're seeing an actual person living through that lens of who i am in christ they have a reason to say you know what maybe all the stuff i heard about christians isn't true maybe all the stuff i heard about church or thought i knew i need to reevaluate and then when they see christ as he is Mm -hmm. it connects the reality of god as we talk about here, to the realities of your everyday life.
1: Well, I think that's an important uh, distinction to make because it's it's one thing to go to church or act a certain way in church or do whatever, be churchy. Right. But your everyday situations, whether you're coaching football or whether you're parenting or whether you're in the checkout lane at Meyer mm-hmm. talking to somebody. Uh, I seem to
2: find myself there a lot.
1: Same. Um, by choice. I love mine. Hi, Meyer. Um
2: <laughs> Maybe they'll sponsor the podcast.
1: <laughs> great. Uh, any interaction, if you are a Christ follower, needs to be a reflection of that. Right. And I, I don't do that perfectly at all.
2: No, none um, of us do it perfectly. But, but if I, we're in Christ, then we do it increasingly. But
1: that's almost convicting because then you think, shoot, I shouldn't have done that, or I should have said this, or I shouldn't have said that, or I should have done this. It, because I I think now, especially with in this digital age, it, it is very easy for people to have this negative uh, opinion of Christianity. Right. And, uh, I, and so I think it is our job to Fight against that and show reality and show truth. And so I feel like when you miss an opportunity or, or something, it's it's hard. Oh you, yeah, you know.
2: Yeah, it's, and it's very convicting. You Don't know, relax. You, you look at it afterwards, <laughs> metaphorically or literally, in this podcast moment. Right. So the the reality hey, is, see, you
1: tie things together. Uh, I like way it. Way to
2: put it on a T tee for me. <laughs> so as we're as we're working through this, this picture that we see in this passage does that. It, it gives us this example that. You know here's what our attitude should be like and yet the realities of life are difficult you're going to face difficult times and you're going to fail i think it's important as if god knew what he was doing imagine that that. uh man i kept thinking about that yesterday we were at turkey Run. i kept thinking wow it is amazing that we could really believe that all of this happened by random chance over millions of years of, of, of all these accidents And that there's no actual divine creator. And then we see graffiti, much less complex than any of the rest of these things. We see graffiti and we just assume that that was put there by a person of small intellect like us. But there had to be purpose, purpose and design. And yet the great cosmos, all interacting perfectly in a series of authority and submission with perfect design, exactly as it has to be for it to exist. This is a just random chance. And then we have supposedly brilliant people who are brilliant without any question, and yet darkened in their intellect by sin, who will tell us that this happened because we actually, no joke, Stephen Hawking espoused this before he died, that we actually live in a multiverse like the comic books so that mathematically, because there's an infinite number of multiverses.
0: Is it the spider-verse? Are we,
2: it's similar, very similar concept, that there's an infinite number of all these uh, universes so that mathematically one of them had to produce life. But that's easier to believe than God created the world. <laughs> I mean, crazy. Anyway, so as we're looking at this, <clears throat> nice little side trip for us. As we're looking at, at this here, God lays all this out and gives us this picture of failure in Peter mm-hmm. so that we can see we're not done when we blow it. So Peter, who, and he's you know the spokesperson for the apostles, he, he writes the scriptures, uh, you know, we've got, you know, the book of Mark came not from his pen, but, but we believe from his uh, source material as he shared this with, with John Mark who wrote it down. We see Peter's letters. We see the influence that he had as a primary leader of the church. We see him preaching the first uh, sermon after Pentecost with 3,000 people getting saved. Only a handful of weeks after this moment when he denies Christ to a bunch of nobodies that, that anonymously, they don't even know him. He, there's nothing at stake. He could have said, "Yes, absolutely, I'm a follower of Christ," and and there's nothing at stake personally. Perhaps they mock him, but he's not committing a crime at this point. It's possible he may have feared, uh, you know, being jailed as right, well. Right. Not likely. I More guess that's likely what I always. I guess that's what I always thought. So, as this is happening, he's overwhelmed, and is and he fails completely, absolutely, abandons what the Lord. It? And betrays he's been him.
1: literally with the Lord.
2: Until this very right, moment. Right. I mean, you're talking about minutes right. between the arrest, when he's ready to fight with a sword, right? and when he denies him. So anyway, as, as we see this happening, Jesus tells him he's going to deny him, and he never runs away from the difficulties. But even toward the end of it, in verse 36, he, he tells the, the group of apostles that are there, when I sent you out before, it was easy. I told you not to take provision. I, you know, I let you know that the Lord will provide for you. So you didn't take a purse. You didn't take you know, extra clothes. You didn't take sword or any of that kind of stuff. But now, verse 36, he says, If you have a purse, take it, also a bag. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. It, you're going to be facing opposition. The persecution, the difficulty, the danger is going to be there. And so you're going to need a sword more than you're going to need a cloak. At the same time, he tells them, you know, as he says during the arrest, Put that away, mm. that's not who we are. Mm. But he's making the point here that life is hard. It's not going to be easy or peaceful anymore because Jesus is going to be considered a lawbreaker. He's going to be treated as a criminal and executed. That means everyone who follows him will be seen as a lawbreaker. You'll be chased down as people who are breaking the law or uh, or supporting them. So in the whole picture of it, Jesus shows us the, the full gamut uh, of going from... You know I'm so faithful to God. I'm clearly the greatest because I would never betray God. Uh, and even when He says, "Peter, I, I'm I'm praying for you. I've prayed for you that your faith might not fail, and that when you have turned back—in other words, you will stumble—but you're going to repent. When you have repented, that you will strengthen your brothers." And Peter's like. But Lord, I don't need you to pray for me because I'm not going anywhere. Right. Of if everybody else bails on you, I'm here. I'm ready to follow you to prison, to death, whatever it takes. And Jesus says, No, you're yes. not. You know. So
1: not only is this a picture of of saying that yeah, you will fail, but it's also a picture of what you need to do after you fail. Right. And yeah. and because we can look at Judas and say, Yeah, Judas blew it, but he did the opposite and, of and, what and you he did. And he felt bad do. about it. Right.
2: So feeling bad about it isn't right, and we talked on
1: that last week or a couple weeks ago. But yeah, so it's it's this very clear contrast of, yeah, you're gonna fail.
2: Yeah, bottom line, clear and stark.
1: But this is what you need to do. This is what you don't need to do.
2: Right? Yeah. Turn turn around. You're going the wrong direction. Turn around, and then stop grousing about your sins. Mm -hmm. Stop feeling bad about your failures. Not that you shouldn't regret your failures. That's that's never. In fact, God condemns those who don't do not. Uh, have that contrition. But stop with that. Mm-hmm. You, you've, you've wept, be done with your weeping, get up off the couch and serve others. Strengthen your brothers. This isn't about you. And I think that's a good message for us as Christ followers. Mm-hmm. When we struggle in our faith, we very often sit around, oh, I'm no good to anybody. You know, right. we fall into right. depression. You know, I can't go to church because my heart's not right. Suck it up. Go where you need to go. Be where you need to be. Do what you need to do because there are people counting on you. And in the book of Hebrews, we're told that we should not forsake the assembling together of ourselves, the gathering together of believers, because you have to encourage others. So when it's hardest is when you most need to be there. You're not, it, you're not encouraging anybody when your life is easy. You know, Tom Brady's only minimally inspirational because he's got a whole bunch of rings. He wins a bunch of Super Bowls. But when you suffer, when you struggle, and then you come through it, then there's something great. What makes, again, a Tom Brady inspirational is that he was the guy that nobody wanted. 199th pick. 198 people picked before him to go into the NFL. Now he's the greatest of all time. That's makes it an inspirational story. What causes us as Christ followers to inspire others is when we have failed, when we have weaknesses, when we have sin and rather than sitting around and pouting about it, we get up and we go and serve others. And we we strengthen and encourage our brothers and sisters by being together, by saying yes, Look at my failure. I'm not hiding it from you. I'm putting it on the table. I'm confessing it, and I'm not just confessing it in my private closet to God. I'm confessing it to those I love and who love me, and I will not stop walking with you. That's encouragement, that's inspiration. And
1: not only are you encouraging others in that, but you're giving others the opportunity to encourage you instead of just sitting there on the couch eating your potato chips. Well, that's right. So it's a full So when it's a you're sitting thing. there in
2: isolation, the devil loves us in isolation right. because it causes <clears throat> us to be weak. Mm-hmm. Then he's gonna pick us off like a lion getting the, the the injured and lame gazelle from the herd. Not gonna attack the strength of the herd because the strength is in the numbers so
1: get the straggler
2: gonna get the straggler. so then we put ourselves in that position which is exactly what the devil wants right but again if the herd scatters and everybody's individual then you don't have the strength in numbers mm-hmm. then everybody it's fair, it, game. its fair game if we come together and we're strong then the lions don't attack the same way they can't mm-hmm. and, and that's that same thing is true as we're walking through our difficulties. When we fail, we need others and others need us. We are a body. So it's very much, you know, using the body example, Paul uses that. When when one part of our body is not functioning properly, then we feel sick. It affects every part of it. Mm-hmm. But the answer is very seldom, it is occasionally to, oh, to it is occasionally to <laughs> cut out that the, the cancer we have to cut out a cancerous thing something that is um, incurable that is destroying everything else right. but when a part of the body is sick the first thing can't be we're going to just isolate it we're going to cut it out we want to cure it we want to heal it we want to make it better you know, i you know scratch my hand on some briars and i have some poison ivy type things you know on my hand my answer is not cut off my hand the answer is get it better right now it's uncomfortable. Well, the same thing happens to us when we struggle and fail in life. When we are with other people in our times of repentance and contrition, it's uncomfortable. It doesn't feel good. Suck it up because it's going to feel better, but it's never going to feel better if we give in to the weakness. We have to, as he said to Peter, we have to turn. We have to repent and and come back to Christ and strengthen our brothers and sisters as we go through it. And
1: it's never going to feel better if you... Let the devil take control of your head and your thoughts. Well, that's right. And
2: and a lot of that stuff that we see as, you know, the devil tells us it's humility, but what it really is is pride. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm humiliated by what I went through because of my pride. Mm -hmm. And rather than facing it, Peter repents, faces it, goes to his brothers and sisters, and he's there with them. Everybody knows there's, you know, there's no way that they don't know what he went through. And yet, he comes back and he needs to lead. And he does what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. Judas can't face it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Pride leads to him killing himself.
1: And, and I get it.
2: I, absolutely, I, mean, I totally <laughs> get it. Uh, much <laughs> I've, more I've than, been there, I, right. I, I wish I didn't get right, it as right. well. Uh, but that's a really big deal. And so that comes right out of the example that Jesus is giving. John records in this event him washing the feet of the disciples. Mm-hmm. Luke emphasizes here this dispute between them of the greatest. And Jesus is saying, look, that's what the Gentiles do. People in authority, they like to lord their authority over you. People who give you stuff want you to know that they gave you stuff so that, so that they uh, owe you something. But the reality of this for us, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to reflect me, you can't be like that. I am the bridegroom. I am the, the guest of honor. And yet I come to you as one who serves This is the attitude that you should have. And Paul echoes that in Philippians 2 when he says, you you should have the same attitude among yourselves as Christ Jesus had. And then he goes on to describe that Jesus emptied himself. He humbled himself and became, became like a servant, even to the point of death, even death on a cross. And because of that humility, because of that servant's attitude, that's how... That's how all of this glory comes about. And God exalts him and because he, is, he humbled himself. And he
1: is Jesus. So how much more Absolutely. are we called to do that right. so as, if, as nobody's If, if we're his, if we, right. if we
2: belong to him, and our job is to reflect his reality, to, to be ambassadors for him, then and that was kind of our core reality for Sunday. Well, specifically, it says it's our core reality for Sunday. <laughs> um, that reflecting the reality of Christ requires the attitude of a servant. I can't reflect Christ if I don't take on a servant's attitude.
1: And without expectation. You mentioned... What do you mean? Uh, I think, uh, and I've gotten caught up in this as well, we'll do something or we'll we'll say we're adopting that attitude or we'll, or we'll go out of our way to do something or give somebody something or do something for them. And somewhere in the back of your head, you're thinking... I'm a I'm a good person, or yeah. I'm doing this, and or or, or 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 even subconsciously you expect something in return from that or, person, right or, right? or you or, or you want the rec- or you want the recognition from yeah. others, or the gratitude from others, and I think that's a very easy easy trap to get into.
2: I think that's part of what the prosperity gospel does for mm-hmm, us is mm-hmm. we we think. Whether consciously or subconsciously, we think that if we do the right things, mm-hmm. if we humble ourselves, if we reflect this servant attitude, that then God will bless us. We'll, that's we'll, not
1: we'll, a servant attitude. If you're expecting. that's right, it's not.
2: It, it's a it's a transactional <laughs> right, kind of thing. Right, right. And the prosperity gospel at its heart is a transactional deal. If I do this, then God will give me stuff. God will right. bless me. God right. will whatever. Uh, and the kind of the opposite of that is liberation theology, which uh, you see a lot in America among minorities specifically black liberation theology that was big uh, in previous generations and has filtered into a lot of things now that kind of has the opposite mentality that i god does not want me to be a servant god does not want me to have a slave mentality therefore we reign as kings and queens and and we we live this life and we trample on demons and all that kind of stuff and and there's an element of both of those distortions of the gospel that are true. The one that says, I will serve, and I'm going to get stuff from it. The one that says, I won't serve because I am a child of God. Both are wrong. Both are distortions, Going the pendulum swinging too far in one way or the other. Jesus knows who he is. He actually is the son of God, mm-hmm. not by adoption, but by his very nature. Right. He is the son of God. And as Christ is, is working here in, in his earthly ministry, he still humbles himself and lives this life as a servant, lives as one of us, goes through what we go through, even suffers and dies on the cross for us, not to get something, and certainly not, you know, trying to escape it because he's above it. He goes right into it. Says, Lord, not my will, but your will. Right. And looking at all of that, how can we then think that suffering isn't part of our Lot. How can we then think that humility is not part of the Christ path, right? So if we're going to reflect him, then we're going to look like him, we're going to act like him, we're going to be like him, then we have to have that attitude of a servant.
1: I think we'll stop there for today. Uh, thank you guys for listening. As always, if you have any questions about this or any, any of the previous uh, things we've been talking about in Luke over the past couple weeks, uh, feel free to send us a message, at reallifeonline.org. Leave us a voicemail. I'm, I want a voicemail for Christmas <laughs> from somebody. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. <laughs> I don't want that. It seems like a lot of work. But thank you for listening, and we'll check you next time.